Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of the Frankenstein's RPG podcast. You are very welcome. This is a bit of a departure to the normal format in as much as we actually have people who know what they're talking about, especially since our topic is not an easy one for an audio format, art. Well, this time I'm joined by John World Cup winner Hodgson, Paul of Spook Show and Instagram Art Fame, and Kay, our Cleopatra of the PowerPoint medium. We have a bit of a chat about art before we get to the really enjoyable bit of being rude to each other, and of course, rude about role-playing games. By the way, Pendragon and Vert fans, you may want to look away towards the end. And as always, Traveller gets an honourable mention, and oddly enough, some praise. For those new to us, what's it all about? Well, each episode we get a group of grognards together to look at the very best elements of role-playing games on a given theme or subject, we debate a bit, we waffle a lot more around the topic, and then we vote on which games will contribute to our creation, the Frankenstein's monster of a game. The idea is that once we've constructed this devilish entity, we'll then play it and see if it all hangs together or indeed falls hopelessly apart at the seams. Thanks again for all the participation via Twitter, and I hope you enjoy it again as we embark on this, the most odd of creative exercises. We've done, I've done this twice, which is the World Cup of, and we had the World Cup of Artists for RPGs, which uh, there was no fix at all, John. You won it. Um, it was totally <laughs> I, I didn't open like 20 Twitter accounts and, and just just vote for you at all. Now, I think you, I can't remember who you beat in the final, but it was... It was like Larry Elmore or something absolutely ridiculous. Oh, it, was yeah. a heavy, it was a real heavyweight final, you know. Because yeah, I, I only, it came to my attention sort of once it was all done. And I was like, what? <laughs> Very strange. Oh, well, that's democracy for you. It is. So you get yeah. Trump, Brexit, and I agree on that. <laughs> yeah, we voted you in. Three in a row. But yeah. But of course, what it does mean is when we put the game together and it's housed in, in this sort of Frankenstein's RPG library, you've got to do the ceiling. Oh, all right. <laughs> I'll enjoy that. So, yeah. so what, we, what we won't be doing on, on, on this particular podcast is voting for the Frankenstein's RPG artist because that's already been acclaimed. Yeah, it is you. Neil, isn't it? Oh, it's me, is it now? I thought it was Neil. Um, so, the, but so the format is what we do: we look at two different topics, combat, magic, blah 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 blah. Excuse me, and then everybody brings up their example and they say, "Okay, this is what I believe is 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 the sort of the best." Now, in this instance, we're going to do an example where art is almost the the, the role playing game itself. So, something where art is so integral to it that uh, you, you sort of almost, you can't divorce the art from the game, the game from the art, or, or you know, that, that's sort of the idea of it. I hope that makes sense. And then the, the second bit is an element of what might not loosely called, but within that sort of artistic sphere that kind of is defined by RPG or, or RPGs couldn't exist without it almost. Does that make sense? Okay, so after three, one, two, Three. <laughs> That's rubbish. <laughs> There'll be a, there may be a lag, so in the editing, I'll have to try and figure out how we work that out. But anyway, good. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to uh, uh, to Frankenstein's RPG uh, podcast. 
uh, as as is now uh, always obligatory. I have to say it's the only game that will give you a double hernia. And uh, today's episode, episode five, one been very, very sort of anticipated, certainly by those those folks and followers on Twitter, uh, is about art. Uh, and we have uh, three extraordinary panellists and one moron, which is me, uh, who, who knows pretty much nothing about uh, art at all. Um, but I, I'll ask them to introduce, introduce themselves. Paul, perhaps you'd introduce yourself and how people can get hold of you. Um, I'm Paul. Um, I'm on Twitter as uh, Spookshow71, um, and you can find me there more often than not. Um, and if you want to look at Instagram, my uh, account is in my bio. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it, do you post all your, all of your art onto the bio? Uh, yeah. Instagram. Yes, I do. Yeah, I think I think it's fantastic because you've been sort of on a on a journey really of of doing more and posting more online, haven't you? Which is I, I, some of it, I, I don't think it'd be too long before you get commissioned. And uh, and clearly, when I've uh, when I've got this game finally nailed down, <laughs> we'll give you a shot. Uh, and uh, if I could also then ask uh, Kay, Kay, uh, if you could introduce yourself as well, please. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, my name is Kay Elling. You can find me on Twitter as K underscore zero. Um, you can find me as Kay Elling all over the Internet because I think I'm the only one this side of the Atlantic. So uh, it has both advantages and disadvantages. You're, you're six hours ahead of her. <laughs> It's always good. And and of course, Kay, you, you've uh, your artistry expressed most forcefully on this pro on this uh, podcast through um through powerpoint really i guess yes data visualization it's a thing (laughs) (laughs) fantastic and then finally i'm I'm absolutely delighted to introduce to you uh john john would you would you introduce yourself please sure so uh i'm john hodgson you can find me on twitter at oh what is my twitter handle at johnny hodgson art uh i don't use twitter very much i'm very bad at it uh, you can check out our website at handiwork.games is my latest wheeze where I'm spending most of my time doing things now. And yeah, I'm an illustrator, artist, um, art director, company owner. I do, uh, do all sorts of things. Yeah. So yeah. Reasonable Thanks for having me rates. on. Reasonable, reasonable rates. No, not reasonable yeah. rates. Very unreasonable rates. <laughs> Incredibly expensive. As, yes. as, as befits, of course, the, uh, the World Cup winner. World Cup O artists for Frankenstein's <laughs> RPG, which is yeah, apparently so. Yes, <laughs> it was either you or Argentina. I think uh, had to win it. Yeah, so, yeah. You, and I just cheated. I put the ball in with me hand, and and <laughs> in a curious, funny. ironic reversal, and 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 they're crap at art as well. So this this uh, this episode is all about art. Um, again, funny enough, there've been, there've been two big topics where particularly uh, Twitter, we, the, it, it's more sort of dominant on uh, um, Twitter for, for us as a sort of a medium. And uh, this and combat were the two, oh, and also the fact that we always sort of look down on Traveller, uh, are the absolute <laughs> dominant themes uh, and have really sparked some of the biggest reaction, which has been fantastic. And it, and it was interesting to sort of uh, to read what some people were sort of saying, and I'll, I'll maybe reference some of those a bit. But when when you sort of talk about your own personal uh, art, how how does it uh, how how does the sort of the muse strike you? Do you have to have a particularly strong kind of uh, brief, or does it flow naturally? John, if you'd like to, could you? Oh gosh, yeah. So I mean. It kind of depends on me what it is I'm doing. I mean, I've been 
working as a as a an illustrator in games and stuff for about 20 years so i'm i'm well used to kind of creating stuff on demand you know you it, that's a sort of discipline so when a brief comes down if i'm working someone else a brief comes in and i'm i'm well used to just finding what i think is interesting in the in the brief as best i can uh you know hopefully there's something in there that's easy to find that you kind of key into and 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 the idea starts to flow but that's I, i'm a big fan of the, the idea that's kind of a muscle that you exercise and the more you do it the better you get at it um uh, so it's far from easy <laughs> but you know you get you get better at, or you get more used to the pain of it maybe i don't know okay. um and then i mean most of the time these days i'm i'm kind of working for myself which is a very fortunate position to be in that's built up over the years that i've sort of done more and more self-directed work um and that yeah that that is more mysterious where sort of ideas come from i don't know okay. it just happened somehow it's yeah it's the the view sort of strikes okay what about you are you are you somebody who needs to be you try to strike me as a very sort of spur of the moment at times you I am hugely impulsive in every way. And so, yeah, that's that's where my art comes from. It's impulse, which is why I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none, really. You know, I've done some sculpting, some digital sculpting, some pencil work, some, you know, I, 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 have a, I dabble in every medium, but I don't think I'm a master of any of them, uh, which is why I now teach, um, because, you know, you just have to kind of know the basics and off you can go. But um, so people like John, you know, who've just really honed their art to this extremely fine point, um, uh, hugely intimidating to people like me who just you know I'm kind of like uh, like animal in the Muppets at the back of the stage just kind of going around and doing stuff that's fun and 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 people like John are at the, the front kind of holding the whole thing together um I'm not going to assign you a Muppet John because I don't know you well enough um but I'd say that that's that's how we're very different from Kermit. one another as artists I'm, I'm gonna gamble Kermit no I was thinking my Miss Piggy really <laughs> yeah the things you Sorry. find out about people yeah no. uh Okay, so uh, Paul, what about you? How does how does sort of that artistic muse sort of strike you? It's um, it's really tricky for me because it's all still rather um, new. The whole just idea that I can make stuff is weird. Um, the few times I have done things for other people, I found that um, you know having a brief is is something that I've got to, I've got to, I've, I've learned to sort of try and work with which i mean i think john's right you know he says it's like a muscle i'm like kind of mine are very weak and you know kind of like it's a thing i need to work on like big time um i'm mostly sort of uh, I, I i get my ideas for just i mean i can it's, it's, i get it from sort of all sorts i mean it's I'm, I'm an amateur so basically i can just take anything i just grab things sort of random grab bag um so hopefully i can get better at that you know be a bit more driven i guess focused yeah but, but i think the, the thing is it's interesting because most of your things have, have a real theme don't they it's sort of or well, black dominates a, a lot but yes yeah, it's, it's not all monochrome but it's it's really it's yeah great. i'm still trying to work out what i can do okay but that yeah. personal style though is there your personal art style is is already hugely developed and and you've mm. got this kind of visual identity that i think a lot of artists really struggle with in, in terms of what your work looks like and and so in terms of you know you as a brand even though you say you're an amateur I'm like no um you know I teach amateurs I know what they look like uh so so you've got that that personal branding even though it might be quite new to you thank you that's very kind so, Kate. thank you so, so so what sort of inspired you then because obviously you're, you're all 
I mean, apart from the fact that I'm assuming you're all sort of enthusiasts in, in that sort of RPG world, was there any, anyone in particular you could point to or anything in particular you can point to as saying, okay, that's when I sort of thought, oh, okay, I fancy having a bit of a draw. Yeah, I de- me, definitely, absolutely. Um, David Day's much maligned talking bestiary was lying around our house when I was a kid. Um, yeah. The text is much maligned, but the artwork is absolutely fantastic. Um, and Victor Ambrose, from there, his work absolutely blew me away as a kid, still does. Um, and then that sort of leads very quickly onto Angus McBride. Is, is, I think his artwork is absolutely amazing, incredible artist, incredibly prolific. Um, so I love all that. And just really the mixture of kind of painterly. And when I first came into contact with it, I wouldn't have known any of these words, but um, sort of painterly, but, but details as well where it mattered and yeah really really love that all of that stuff so yeah they they were definitely i think angus mcbride was certainly where i thought i would love to be able to do that and uh, that hasn't changed like i'd still when i grow up i would love to be able to paint like angus mcbride i've got a friend of mine i'll just let's start with a name dropping a friend of mine ralph horsley who's a, a very well-known D artist magic the gathering ice yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He, we we share a love of angus mcbride yeah, Billy Biggs and, okay come on come yeah on. i know um he, he he'll occasionally send me angus mcbride originals right because angus mcbride made like 20 gazillion pieces of artwork and they're actually quite easy to pick up on ebay and and ralph will buy some and he'll he's a lovely bloke he'll sometimes he'll send me something and you think it's one of those occasions we think if i see an original i'll i'll be able to learn how he does it you know i'll see some and it's like no they they he worked one-to-one he didn't work bigger and it was on. so i've got all the, i've got a couple of pieces they're tiny little i'm holding up my hands radio ventriloquism um they're like you know three inches across and just look the same as on the page and you learn nothing you know new absolutely incredible but anyway yeah don't get me started on that i'll just go on all night but yeah yeah incredible stuff love it love it angus mcbride mm. Paul, what about you? Anything in particular that sort of inspires you? Anyone? One or I'm, I'm not well. I mean, aside from, you know, consuming games, as it were, um, I, I, I still, I, I'm not really well versed in, um, I can't, I can't off the top of my head think of anything that made me go, wow, this is why I need to sort of learn to have a go at this. It's um, three or four years ago now or something now. I can remember seeing Simbaroon pop up on Twitter, mm. you know, and I'll be honest, I'm sorry, I don't know the name of the artist, but I remember seeing that and going, good god i mean just look at it um i, I beggars all, belief all, well all of the all of the free league stuff is is i think is incredibly mm. art plays such an enormous part in those i don't think that's martin so grip so, isn't it martin grip on Simbaroon. and then the other yep. the other Very free good. league is simon stalenberg stalenberg yeah stalenberg yeah I hope I'm right saying that. I'm like, oh, yes, yes, it's Stalinberg. Like, is it? I think this might be. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about the game, so you... While we're talking. Quick, Stalin Hag, Stalinberg. Uh, yeah. You're absolutely right. I must admit, it was one of the things that made me buy. And in fact, uh, several people sort of mentioned that as being, you know, that's that's what made me buy the game, as it were. Uh, yeah. What about UK? Is there anything you can point to and say that's it? Um, it, I came through the comics route, so so I was fortunate to be in sort of you know sixth form and an art foundation college um, at the height of the nineties, sort of late eighties, early nineties comic UK comics boom. So it was all the Judge Dredd stuff. Um, you know, Colin McNeil as an artist on Judge Dredd is still one of my favourites of all time. Uh, but also, um, you know, Tank Girl and Jamie Hewlett. 
and uh, and that kind of sort of comic stuff. So I started with the comics, but in terms of fantasy, it was it was Brian Froud, uh, and that was through his design work on Labyrinth. And, and I think previous to that, he'd done this very famous poster for Trolls or some sort of Tolkien thing where Brian Frown had done these wonderful Trolls. And I think everybody had that same to- Tolkien poster at home. And uh, and it was done with inks and I, and I just loved it. It had such tonal variety. And, and of course, you know, I didn't know what tonal variety was there, but I just knew it was really rich and I wanted that richness. And then I got into line weight and that's when I went, oh comics that's that's really great and that's why it was great to get into um role play games and stuff as well because back then um you know due to printing and stuff and because all everything was was done on, on paper and it wasn't digital there was that such huge crossover between comics and, and the artwork that you get particularly on the inside on the inside pages of rpgs and and that's the thing that got me really excited about it and in fact got me interested in in gaming in the first place yeah so I think I might be a little bit ahead of you in terms of, uh, well, certainly in terms of age. But Bill Sienkiewicz was was the Marvel comic artist who abs- the first time the first time I think I can genuinely you know, on something that it, it's just, it sounds like a silly thing to say, and, and if I'm about to embarrass myself by saying it, but it it didn't art was never particularly approachable for me when I was when I was sort of fairly young. Yeah, we had art at school, and oh, this is a that's a Van Gogh, and that's a whatever that one happens to be over there. Turner, well, I always love Turner, but there we are. But then I I saw the sort of Bill Sienkiewicz. He did Moon Knight. Do you remember that particular comic? I don't know if I've seen that one because of course I know him from his Electro Assassin stuff. That was a really huge one for me, and and I've yeah. still got his uh, big numbers. Um, comic as well which is also absolutely gorgeous and of course he was then he segued into stuff like Dave McKean where where we all you know got the toothbrushes out and splattered everything and it was like woohoo let's make a mess we can make a mess now this is brilliant and uh, and that was quite nice as an antidote to all that really tight line work that you'd get in comics when when everybody just went oh yeah it's all full color now let's let's all go full depth so mm. so there's there's definitely I think um uh, an easy route to see from coming from the comic stuff into particularly around that time in the in the 90s when when things were starting to break out of the mold and british stuff in particular was quite interesting um and and that kind of stuff i think is is a, is a really cool segue into into role play games and role play games art in particular it sort of a, a, without disappearing down too much of a time it's been always been a bit of a surprise to me there isn't a better more artistic superhero game, actually, considering there's such an enormous breadth and depth of artists that work in in comics. I don't recall seeing one anyway. You didn't say that. Um, I was I, I had a look at one today, and I can't remember what it's called. You have to give me a second while I look through my list, my vast list of what we looked at. It's definitely not champions. Okay. Dark streets, darker secrets. Is that a superhero one? That's yeah. I could say it's more like urban. Um, yeah, yeah. Supernatural jobby. Mm. It's one that I haven't played, but it's definitely on my uh, on my list. Okay. Yeah, because that that sort of McKean kind of style transitioned into role playing games much more in that sort of urban fantasy angle, yeah. didn't it? You know that that's where that. But yeah, it's interesting that the the superhero side of that stuff did, didn't really transition into 
games that much. Nothing springs to mind. That's a, that is quite interesting. But it, but it, anyway, it's one of those things where uh, we, we, because we're sort of more looking at fantasy games with, with this sort of particular series, although we've been mm. stealing bits and pieces from all over the place. It's one of those things that actually, if you were to say, okay, where would you go and steal some art from? All the things that I would think about are probably all the high, well, low fantasy, I guess, but high fantasy. For me, anyway, that sort of the, the, the Dragon Warrior stuff, for example, that he did, which was the, mm. was that the Serpent King or Mongoose? Yeah, um, yeah, Magnum Opus yeah. initially. Yeah, most mostly through Magnum Opus, James Wallace's I mean, company. I mean, yeah, a, the... that that I think is a, is a bit again. I don't mean to pump sunshine, but it, it's one of those where you sort of because there's that peculiarly British kind of vibe, if you like, to that game. The artwork mm. I thought just really complemented that mysterious and slightly folksy kind of uh, basis for the game. Yeah, it's quite it's quite interesting in the, the the original paperbacks. There's quite a mix of artwork actually, and I always I was always drawn to the Leo Hartus stuff. Who I have loads of just, just name drops continue. Um, name dropping will continue. Oh, there there we go. Um, <laughs> name dropping will for continue. Morale improves. Yeah, I've got I've got loads of mutual friends with Leo Dragon Leo Hartus. Yeah, Sharon the Dragon. Sorry, I'm totally talking over you. Um, yeah, loads of mutual friends with Leo Hartus through a really weird live action role play route, and I've never met him. And he's one of the few people. If I did meet him, I think I'd just sort of pass out. You know, you just like, or, or just do that thing where you go, I really, I really like your work, and then have to never speak to him ever again because you know, can you um, sign my arm so I can get it tattooed? Yeah, yeah. and you know, I've met all sort. You know, I've met. Larry Elmore and, and yeah, Brian Froud and so on. And they're, you know, they're really nice people, lovely people, but, and yeah, I'm a huge Brian Froud fan as well, but I'm all right with that. But Leo would freak me right out. Well, <laughs> I wouldn't know what to say, but that, you know, it was interesting that in the original books, there was a bit of a mix. There was a bit of almost yeah. comics, American comic style artwork, you know, the elf that, that yeah, Morris yeah, doesn't like yeah. to talk about weird elf in a sort of leotard. That was, you know, much well, more e- even that sort of example of combat, isn't there? Yeah. Which is yeah, in panels, is like, cool? a, yeah. like a comic, isn't it? It's beautiful. Very yeah. cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, very, very British stuff. Very, you know, very much so. so, so a lot of dirt on it, you know. Yeah, it will. Ah. <laughs> hey, Kay, I know you were going to talk about things like layout and so on. So. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to, to talk about graphic design, really, as much as I wanted to talk about illustration, because these two things do go hand in hand. And, and being an educator and seeing a lot of students on games courses and concept art courses as well, where I teach, um, you know, put together layouts. And, and it's something that, that we find really difficult because it's, it's such an integral part, but it's so structural and it's so bare bones that unless you know the... Uh, the rules of layout and graphic design, you're going to make an absolute pig's ear of whatever you're going to do, no matter how creative you are. And trying to get those rules into a curriculum where there's all these really exciting, beautiful pieces of concept art and and, and marketing artwork and, and and even just a sort of more comics-y style, sort of, sort of simple artwork that you get with indies. Trying to, to tell students that, yes, you can get a free font, but do make a you know an informed choice about what font that you are choosing. Um it's, it's, it's Times New Roman, isn't it? Well, you know, or these days it's papyrus. Uh, that is the font that everybody thinks is absolutely brilliant. And yeah, you see, mm. Paul is now he's, he's doing that thing with the he's clawing his fingers, and and so was I because I was like, I'm going to have a look at fonts. That's what I'm going to do for this one. I'm going to go and look at sixty different RPG books, which I did. 
and have a look at some of the fonts that they used and how they use those fonts. And, and for me, that's a really important a really important thing is the design and the layout. And I know that there are graphic designers who listen to this podcast and they'll probably be going here, here. And then and then I'm going to say about some of the crimes that were committed. And then there'll be a, oh, but we can't call that a crime. Uh, so, yeah, I think a bit later on, I'm going to be extremely mean about some of the things that have been done and committed in the art books. <laughs> John, what about you? Is there anything you think is sort of is, is broader, has a huge, as big an impact on on sort of the visual type of... Uh... I mean, absolutely. I mean, I do, you know, I was, I spent a decade working at Cubicle 7, um, where the last few years I was creative director there. So I oversaw, well, and art director as well, I oversaw all that side of it. Um, and I think it's vastly important. And, and as Kay was saying, it's, it's one of those invisible arts, you know, like art direction or editing, that you don't see it really in the same way you see writing and you see see the the visible arts like you know um, illustration but it's so important really important i think things like you know layout and topography have a huge impact in how you absorb material and tonally as well you know there's the it, it, some sort of really you could use a really sort of gross example where if you go back to the very early days where paste up was being done literally with paste and and mm. And, and information was being crammed into pages. I think if you look at something like first edition D&D, AD&D maybe, th- there was this part of what they all, it almost seemed like part of the mission was to cram so much stuff in there to make it sort of look big brain, you know, to okay. just, I'm going to short, I'm already rambling, but no, no, to no. try and look really complicated, complicated and impressive by making it really dense you know and you had to be remember games when they had like rule 3.16 and you know they numbered the paragraphs and things like that and that was all that's design choice you know in and and that's a deliberate attempt to make it sort of advanced and smart and all that you know which now we would not do that would not be considered advanced you know that'd be the opposite you you, Um, you do need to be aware that obviously merp is 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 the game of choice uh, yeah. Particularly for me, <laughs> when, when we're t- when we're talking on the phone, and I can think already of the number of heinous crimes that Merp commits. Yeah, and yet with its graphic design, because I looked at Merp as part of the ones that I was looking at, because I thought, well, obviously this is this is Dave. Dave loves Merp. I'm going to have to look at it. And you know, it's essentially it's an RPG in an academic paper format, in that it does mm. have those those yeah. uh, that particular requirement. And it, in fact, its data tables conform to the APA formatting requirements of the American <laughs> Psychological Association, which is just absolutely amazing. So you could take that and just put it into some kind of journal, and it would look entirely rational and entirely academic and like you say big brain so it is actually a hundred percent there in Merp but I have given it my in my internal award system when I was looking through all of these things I've given it the most timelessly robust award because it is so simple and so basic but that makes it massively legible but of course then it comes back to what John was saying about cramming things in and I wonder if this comes from zine culture thinking about the same thing you know the sort of back when when you used to head down to the copiers and and you would have your 16 page zine and every single page was bursting with text and images and information and if there is a sort of some kind of crossover in that that they had to 
you know, have one foot in the academic corner and one foot in the in the youth culture corner. And uh, and therefore we were getting all kinds of RPGs. And you can still see it now in the indie stuff where there's a density of information on the page that you don't get with the uh, the big budget versions, if you like, because they've got the luxury of of having dead space on the page or for, for having margins that aren't full of Celtic not work. And I'm looking at you, Pendragon. Uh, sorry, <laughs> so many Celtic knots around the margins in Pendragons in six different ways. And some of them are all distressed and some of them aren't. And some of them are hand drawn and some of them aren't. And they don't line up. And it makes my eye twitch. Again, you know, you, you, everybody can be rude, but look, look, look at this for, for Merck. Look, look at the suite of tables there are there don't that just make you see can i ask you a question about merp right that i have wondered about since as since i was a kid right because we played a hell of a lot of merp merp's a weird one for me because i worked on talking games for years and oh yeah look nice um and and and, uh, we always had to be very careful around i always like to say i played a lot of merp and we enjoyed the heck out of it i wouldn't play it now i think it would be a dire experience um but uh, (laughs) One thing I always uh, just to, you know, since you're an expert, no, 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 see it, it the be a dire experience if I've got to GM it for you, but yeah, oh, well. good, yeah. Well, oh, I've got so many questions actually, there are more popping into my mind. See the armor tables on the armor tables, something we realized was you could reverse them. So basically, when you were unarmored, you were likely, and now I can't remember which way around it is, there is, there is a good explanation of why you take so so say you're unarmored you take no damage at all and then you take because you're dodging around right and then you take a really heavy hit that just takes you out but it's the same for like fully plate armored you take no damage at all until you take a blow that pierces the armor and takes you out so we thought in our version it was like misprinted the the tables were printed back to front (laughs) because each faction within our schoolboy sort of you know uh, it was a boys' school, so it was all school boys. Unfortunately, um, we would, you know, we had different factions that, that felt the armor should work differently. And and in those days, you couldn't just go on the internet and go, "Oh, did you print this back to front, you idiots!" Like people talk to designers now with no respect whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So we had to just argue about it. And I, that, I'm still concerned about that. I, I, <laughs> I having having heard uh, Kay's uh, initial discourse on on sort of layout and mm-hmm. everything else, I might just go with that argument of you know. Somebody's just put the column in the wrong in the wrong it could table. Be. Could it be? Yeah. Right? Could it be right? And it was quite interesting trying to trying to guess what people meant. You know, I quite like that. I miss that because now you just go on Twitter, don't you, and yeah. make an abusive tweet to get some yeah. attention, and then you know ask <laughs> what questions. What the hell is this? No armor stuff in. Yeah, Merck? what's this, you idiots? I'm not somebody ordinarily who enjoys tables and things like that, but I think one of the things that seduced me about Merp was. <laughs> I found it Seduced very easy to by Merp. Yeah. Imagine well, that. Listen, That's a horrible listen, thought. I, I, I grew up in Suffolk. It was either being seduced by oh, okay, Merp yeah, or some sort of agricultural activity. But, you, know, <laughs> it, you know, it was, uh, I, I think it was not only, the, the first thing I have to say is, in terms of art, the first thing that absolutely got me was, <laughs> and I, I didn't remember, and, and interestingly enough, if you look at the art in the very first edition, which is that sort of red, yeah. orange, or yellow and black sort of covered one, wasn't it? And and then it, you got that, the, and I'm holding up the Chris Achilleos, <laughs> sort of the purple Games Workshop version. I mean, I just looked at that and went, that's, I'm in, I'm in. And then, and then it was the amount of maps and the way that they visualised, you know, they've managed to sort of in, encapsulate, in my opinion, managed to encapsulate the sort of the uh, the Tolkien esque 
stuff in there. But um, sorry, we're in danger of disappearing down a merp time tunnel here, which is down the merp hole. The bear, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll maybe leave merp there. But I think you're right. So the point the, the point that was made and was made very well is layout is absolutely one of those things where you think you know you will crucify a game if you get it wrong. The interesting thing is BX Essentials has almost taken that the OSE uh, old school essentials rather has taken that you know completely the other way where he's gone right listen your layout and like you were saying John about the D&D it was like shove everything in that you can which meant that the whole thing was disjointed and they all he's done is there they've taken the old school essentials and gone okay listen uh, we'll put it so that all the information is laid out coherently in the right place in readable tables and stuff and it's I think it's absolutely transformed that game yeah, Paul, you're going to... No, same, man. Um, good experience with old school essentials myself at the moment. It's uh, just ease, great ease of use, you know, sort of functionality, I guess. And and I, I, and to your point as well, John, that, that about, you know, layout and graphic style, and again, case you, you were talking about too, the actual... Uh, the ease on the eye, not only of, of, of the sort of typefaces used, but the way that the pages are set out and everything else... It, it just absolutely ruins games for for people. You know, it, you literally just go, "Well, this is completely incomprehensible. I'm not interested." But that was what it like, was like for me with AD and D. I was looking at it and going, "What the hell is all this?" You know. Yeah, I do, the original, which like D and D, the sort of blue box D and D, a neighbour gave me a copy of that when I was like ten or something, and I just couldn't understand it. And I was quite, you know, I'd like to think I was a fairly bright kid, but and it was the way it was made. It wasn't the game. It was the way the game was presented. It just went, well, what, what is this? Because I didn't have anyone to sort of show me. You know, you need to role playing games so so much easier when you got someone to show you yeah. what it even is. You know, I was still at the well, where's the board? Set, you know, <laughs> stage, and it did not help you with that. Let me tell you. You know, yeah. it was very tough to understand but um yeah then a then a dragon warriors solved that that was much better form presentation you know again you're pushing another button for me sorry Kay, you were gonna say i was gonna say well you see a lot of this stuff is the segue between visuals and accessibility and i think accessibility for games is a really in terms of design um so visual design for for those of us who are you know dyslexic or we might be colorblind or you know what we generally call accessibility now Mm. um considering that games is a hobby that attracts so many of us who are neuroatypical that having these kind of layouts and layout issues which have been you know there've been problems with them for for decades but you know we kind of got worse and then we got better and Mm. and uh i think it's a really important thing to consider because it is something that will affect role-play gamers I think more than you would say you know in your average day-to-day magazine layout just because Mm. of who who the hobby attracts and who we are those who make it those who make them those who play them those who do the indies and the homebrews etc and and when I was looking at the the whole kind of some of the sins of what people are doing with layout and typography and and some of the stuff I was looking at was quite old and there was this lovely bell curve of, of kind of awfulness. So if you think of it, sort of we start off in the in the kind of late 70s, early, early 80s, where it's all done by hand and it's all sort of copy and pasted and therefore it's very basic and it's really accessible because of that. And then we go towards the year 2000 and it is literally around, around in the year 2000, there is the absolute pinnacle of awfulness 
because that is where desktop publishing has become so accessible to everybody and everyone's got Photoshop. And I have to say that White Wolf, you know, my beloved vampire, uh, but also Mage and um, Mummy the Resurrection I looked at, Vampire Dark Ages, Mage Ascension, all the 20th anniversary editions are the absolute pinnacle of awfulness where desktop publishing where people just went we have the power we have the technology and nobody did that whole sort of just because you could you shouldn't really think about whether you should uh, nobody was doing that yet so there's this wonderful wonderful bit um the the mage ascension logo on the cover of that particular book um unfortunately i've only got it in pdf so i can't hold it up to you but if you haven't seen it it's um, sort of a big purple background with with some sort of gold sigils on it and then there is the word mage and it's yellow on purple with a texture overlay um it has an inner stroke an outer stroke a bevel and an emboss and a gradient overlay on the title on its own all of this just on one logo and it is the worst eyesore that I've ever seen and yet if you look at the the sort of new seventh edition stuff that's coming out from 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 that area I guess they are they chaosium now or whatever they are um that it's it's becoming it's gone much more sophisticated and back into this sort of quite understated lifestyle magazine kind of style that we're getting and and that's where the bell curve goes back down in terms of awfulness um and and with the indies as well with indies they're all going back to the really simple stuff so things like no stone unturned maze rats wonders and wickedness king of dungeons shivering circle tunnels and trolls those are just some that i looked at where the it's so basic it's like it was back at the beginning it's not quite american psychological association compliant but it is absolutely w3c compliant and i know i've spoken for ages but one last thing i wanted to say was that because we're now because we're now consuming these books as pdfs as much as we are as physical copies then the rules of design have to apply for screen as they do for print and they're actually very different beasts so uh, it's interesting to see the uh, genre as a whole try and find its way back from a desktop publishing excitement that you know looks great in inverted commas if you're holding it in book format or something that people can actually access while looking at on a tablet Mm. and uh, and that's what we're having to think about I guess and and you know I've noticed certainly more more and more actually I've seen people watching or reading through RPG books on the phone which must be an absolute bloody nightmare yeah so interesting one thing you talked about then is is that point about accessibility and, and and it was something that um, struck me once. And again, it, it was a tweet on, on on Twitter. I think somebody, and I, I can't remember who it was. I'm afraid, but somebody tweeted that they'd done, they'd reorganised the uh, Dungeons and Dragons character sheet for uh, specifically for for some children who had. I think it was I think it was either dyslexia or, or maybe dyspraxia or something, but it had been designed in such a way that it was you know it would draw your eye to the particularly you know, the bits that you needed to highlight and it was something I'd never ever considered before, and it was just an absolute revelation I think so where, where you know where finally people are thinking a bit more sensibly about that. And, and character sheets are a really important one as well because of course character sheets in themselves have always been something that you would reproduce and people have made their own character sheets uh, and the fact that you've got all of these digital platforms like Roll20 and Foundry where character sheets happen 
in in much more of a web format or, or like a video game format. So we have the user interface, human computer interaction, the HCI kind of thing happening as well. Um, but all of this is, is really good because it means everyone's starting to think about it finally and, and understand that um, people sometimes need to process information in different ways. And, mm. uh, and it means that that fine line between here is a thing of beauty that I wish to own because it is so gorgeous. And here is a thing that I can use at the table um, are, are two different things. And there are games out there where you get two different versions of the PDF to download. You get the print friendly one, and then you get the full bells and whistle ones with all the pictures. Mm. So interesting John from a sort of a commercial perspective then because obviously you have done this as you said with pinnacle seven and then a cubicle seven sorry mm-hmm. pin- yeah. cubicle yeah cubicle um, cubicle seven yeah. who pinnacle seven are I think I've just yeah hybrid yeah it's incredible Savage. we have another podcast world. Yeah. What, what, I'm going to be producing my own games so uh, is that something that I mean? I guess we, you know, when we talk, talk, talking about art, but is that something that really you really think about when you're putting together the game, or is yeah. it you want to make something that looks beautiful, or is it a real consideration? Yeah, I mean, skipping forward, in fact, to what we're doing now with with Handiwork Games, we've we've licensed the it's a work in progress at the moment. But we've licensed the Dyslexi font, and and the ultimate aim is to relay out all the books with with a dyslexia friendly font. Um, if you go to our website, you can click a button and it converts the whole thing into dyslexia. Yeah. So that it's easy. It doesn't work for everyone, um, but it's easier to read for people that, that struggle with text. Um, my, my son has actually um, very recently been been diagnosed as diagnosed is not a word we use anymore, but um, he, he, he has some specific learning challenges to do with dyslexia. And it's like really where you go, yeah, this really, you know, this is a really bright kid, but he just doesn't books. He bounces off books, you know. Mm-hmm. So he watches, and it's good. I mean, I'm glad he's grown up in our house because he watches YouTube like 24 seven. But that's his books, you know. It's where he's he's really hungry for information, and he'll get embarrassed because he'll be he'll be watching something that's actually quite highbrow, and he's and he'll pretend he's not. And he's like, no, 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 this is good. I'm genuine. Like I'm legitimately interested in what you're watching. It looks good, you know. Not, not the sort of thing I usually watch on YouTube. Yeah. If I'm honest, but yeah. there we are. But, um, but yeah, that, and it's yeah, definitely it's something we think about. We we do a lot of um, stuff around, um, yeah, just, just, you know, color blindness is huge. Certainly like I've done a lot of card games work and it's so easy. People get it so wrong. It's so easy to rely too much on color yeah. and it makes it unplayable for, for people. And that's pretty rotten, isn't it? You know, imagine you bought a game and you just couldn't play it because it relies on a specific type of color vision. So, yeah. And I think things are getting better and better. It's it's the, so just recently I I I bought um, uh, Shadows of Estran, mm. which is to look at is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I haven't got a clue what's going on in the game, but you know it right. it looks beautiful, and and it's almost now where I've got I've probably got two or three pieces of you know RPG sort of um, uh, games and and they and they're almost. I bought them because they look nice, not because mm-hmm. either I wanted to you know, run the game. I, I don't. I don't believe it's a case with Simbrum. I think Simbrum is actually a really good, uh, a really good sort of fusion of art and and you know, actual gaming system too. But you can see that as being you know, almost like a collectible. And in fact, recently there's been a spate of the art of certain art, like Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons in particular. And it's been. I've been. I've been quietly amazed actually that people have really gone for it. Yeah. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. Simon Stalin Hag. <gasps> Stalin Hag. 
So, yeah. Oh, am I Are muted? You? No, I'm not. No, the reason why this is really chewed, by the way, is because I bought this secondhand off Amazon. This is known as secondhand good condition, uh, but obviously somebody's pet has has oh, eaten right. half the cover. It's okay on the inside, but the cover is eaten. But that's that's why I got this. But this is not things from the flood, the game. This is things from the flood from the TV series. So we have here a spin-off of a spin-off of a game. I was just going to say a really interesting thing as well. Simon owns part of Free League. So there's a very interesting kind of sort of that. That's a very interesting set of relationships there. I'm not entirely sure what came first, whether part of his ownership of Free League happened. I think, it, I believe it happened after the, um, you know, the, 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 they turned his art into a game and he became a part owner in the company. Um, but it's really interesting how that all feeds around. I think that's absolutely fascinating. Um, and probably the future, I think, you know. But, but I, th- I think kind of stuff. actually, and Paul, I think this probably relates relates to some of the stuff that you've been, as you said, you've been sort of discovering yourself. The things that you, some of some of the artwork that you do is very much sort of people then comment and say that character is, and they start to almost write a scenario around them, which must be an interesting sort of development. It's a weird thing, but it's it's a nice thing because it means that <laughs> something I've done has sparked something in somebody else, and that's like that's all you can really aim for i guess it's like that it pushes somebody to be inspired if you like as opposed to yeah exactly um, need a, a kick a kick in the right direction that's certainly it yeah good okay so the, the format of the of, of the, the podcast is at some stage we've got to have at least one vote and uh, and doubtless there'll be at least two but the first one i was going to say is just just because yeah, if I can shoehorn anything in, I, I, I take every opportunity. So, um, and this is where I was I sort of tasked you pre pre the pod to sort of think of an example where the art is almost the RPG itself. You know, there's, there's, it's too symbiotic, if you like, to sort of distinguish the game from the art. Uh, so, Paul, have you got a, a, an example? Do you think of? Oh, hello. Mm-hmm. Talk us through. Mm-hmm. Morkborg is like, I mean, it's aside from it being like one of the most beautiful things that I've ever come across. Yeah. Um, I, honestly, it's that whole thing. I don't think you can separate the game from from the thing itself. It's like, I mean, the book's like a, a, a huge, beautiful, rusty leviathan. It's like you know, it's um, <laughs> it's a monstrous force almost. Yeah. Um, but again, it's that whole thing when we get talk about access you kind of I don't know it's just it's beautiful and it's I'll be honest I, I don't think I can separate the two I mean I'll be honest I'm, I'm a sucker for um weirdy apocalyptic kind of terribly dark kind of games but um yeah I mean it's it, you're, you're right though it's uh, it's the look of it that caught me I just went holy what the hell is that you know mm. um who's producing that what what is it um it's it's terrifying and beautiful. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, I mean, it does pro- provoke quite a big reaction, I think, in people when they sort of... Everybody talks about the games in, in, almost in a, in a sort of a visual way. You know, it is that sort of dark and, un, you know, peculiar yeah. and, and extraordinary. Okay. Kay, what would, uh, what would be your example where art and RPG are almost synonymous with each other in a game? It is going to be Simon Stallenhag, even though it's 
really, really, really obvious, but it's it's his Tales from the Loop. And the reason why I've picked that one is because it's one of those few games that I really regret buying in PDF only uh, because I wanted to buy it in the full-on print edition. And I think with with uh, uh, with shipping from somewhere ridiculous, it was going to be like 80 quid. And it was the 80 quid or 25 quid conundrum and I'm a terrible cheapskate and I've regretted it ever since but the thing about Stalinhag's Tales from the Loop is that there's this wonderful sense of scale and this has come from a discussion that I've had on Twitter over the last couple of days um, because I was asking people about what they had nightmares about because I want to do some nightmare paintings and um, and it sort of transpired that perhaps I have megalophobia which is you know the fear of things that are extremely large because in my nightmares it's always collapsing buildings that are the size of skyscrapers and spaceships the size of continents sort of falling down on people and for some reason we've taken a turn into group therapy but we have a little bit yeah (laughs) but it's also megalophilia as well so it's loving this sort of the absolute vastness of sort of massive robots or, you know, enormous kind of electric substations and things like that. And I think this concept of scale is what Stalinhag brings to his work, but it's also in the game as as well with Tales from the Loop because you are playing as kids. So you are small and helpless and you are, and the loop is this big and all powerful thing. And it's that, and the artwork of how it treats, you know, the, the vulnerability, but also, that that yeah just kind of the smallness of being a child even if you are a young teen with the vastness of of systems that you can't control his artwork and the game are absolutely in sync with each other on that particular point i i, I think you're right and because actually as a premise for a role-playing game you wouldn't automatically think children in danger would be would be a thing but you you do you take one look at that that the, just the front cover take one look at the front cover and you think I get it. You know, it, do you have to explain it to me? I want to do that bit where it's you know, jeopardy and something different and 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 actually quite, quite captivating. Uh, great example, John. What about you? Yeah, I've been really quickly thinking up a different one. <laughs> ah. <laughs> we have three, but I thought of one that's going to be of you know on the topic of sort of being a bit provocative, and it and I'll argue that it is a role playing game. Uh, I'm going to jump way back to uh, Warhammer 40,000 Rogue Trader Ooh, as being, you know, visuals being inseparable from the 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 game content. Well, it is the game content. You know, there is there is no separation there. Um, and yeah, I think I think that was a really just to carry on the sort of theme of things that impressed us as kids. That was quite remarkable. I mean, it's absolutely nuts that original book you know it's stylistically it's in one sense stylistically it's all over the place but that's exactly what it's supposed to be you know it's it fits so well i i, I would hesitate to to call it whether that was deliberate um or whether it was just absolute serendipity of that team all working together um but i think that's totally incredibly tight piece of work um and and, yeah. and again given that it's sort of like it's a it's it's kind of a manufactured sort of uh setting isn't it really again you look at this you look at the artwork and 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 you just go oh yeah i get it <laughs> it's like knights in space 
It's really interesting because I think it's become something of a cliche now, you know, because it's been around so long, 40K, and it's very different now to, mm. to its sort of gonzo roots. It's quite, it's too slick now. Um, but but back then, that was, it was really bonkers and incredibly, um, you know, when people talk about visionary art director John Blanche, they're not wrong. Do you know what I mean? He's really, no, yeah. you know, there's a man with a vision, you know, absolutely. And, and John was, was in warhammer role-playing games as well wasn't he the warhammer mm-hmm. yeah I mean, yeah idea. he was yeah yeah okay yeah, yeah. Warhammer 40k okay mine is a uh mine's quite a modern one actually not quite as modern as more mm-hmm. but it is uh liminal mm, that was my oh. second choice <laughs> yeah and uh, i for starters i think uh, although i don't think he's done absolutely everything within the book i think uh jason benke is a is quite an extraordinary artist and and you know ha- has created something that's sort of impactful and and again and again you're sort of flicking through the book you know you, you, almost every page you see something and you think oh yeah I, I get it already so his illustration of the fae is is i think fantastic in that sort of modern setting and i'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed really that chaosium are coming out with uh, the rivers of london because i thought that that was liminal was definitively the rivers of london really Mm. but i just i think it's one of those but the first book i've picked up and 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 sort of quite indie small production that i've i've sort of picked up and thought oh my this is i would just look at this (laughs) repeatedly it's just fantastic so for me it was uh it's liminal is my uh is my whether it was an explicit and I've I've talked to uh, Paul Mitchner about it and he sort of said yeah it was very much like a he, he wanted there to be a strong up but you know it, I think it probably surpassed what he what his intentions really had originally been so so mine is mine is liminal so now, of course, what we have to vote on. So this is essentially, uh, I, I guess it's more of a sort of a, um, uh, this will be a an aspirational uh, part of the uh, Frankenstein's RPG, that, that it becomes synonymous with, with the art that we have. So we'll be following, if you like, this, this kind of, this you know, uh, symbiosis of art and the game. Uh, we now have to vote. So... You cannot vote for your own suggestion. Uh, so I'm going to come to you first, Paul. You can't vote for Morkborg or Morkburg or however you pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You can't, yeah. vote, you can't vote for it. So which of the others are you going to go for? Is it Warhammer 40K, Rogue Trader? Is it Tales from the Loop or is it Liminal? Okay, aspirational Tales from the Loop. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a toughie. Okay. Uh, I'm going to break it now. John, I'm going to come to you now. You can't vote, obviously, for Warhammer 40K. Uh, really it's a More very board. tough one, isn't it? Yeah, Do you know what I'm going to... Uh, I'm sort of... I'm torn because I was going to say about... Sorry if I'm supposed to just give an answer. It's going to be like <laughs> Louis on X Factor. Louis, give an answer. And I, well, <laughs> I was just thinking because I, I was going to make a choice that isn't to do with the the question. So let me just think... I think I'm going to go with Liminal because I was just thinking I'm working, not because I'm working with Paul Mitchell at the moment, but I am working with Paul Mitchell. But I think Paul is this really, 
I got an re- enormous fondness for Paul. I think he's a really interesting character, and I think he's done something really amazing. And I'm gonna—he's getting my vote for Liminal because I've been thinking a lot today about people, and I put myself in this category who transcend this artificial beep about. Sorry, I'm going to sound really bad. I was about to say indie versus mainstream, but we've been talking about indies today. I'm not ref- I'm not sort of reacting to the way we spoke about them today. No. I'm talking about on Twitter, people want you to be in a tribe yeah. and it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And Paul is somebody who is uh, absolutely indie in every sense of the word. He's just Paul doing his thing. Yeah, yeah. But you wouldn't look at him and go, oh yeah, he's in the cool indie gang. You know, just, he wouldn't, he just, he's just doing his own. And I aspire to that for our stuff. Just, just do your thing, do your thing, you know. And is, people, it, is, 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 is ukulele playing? Yeah, was it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big part of it though. Yeah. He just does that, doesn't he? He's not bothered. No? He's like, wow, this is a song that I'm doing on my, I love it. I love Paul to bits actually. And now, so ACDC on the ukulele, yeah. Yeah, by by the Tweed Meister himself. Um, yeah, purely for my enormously warm feelings towards Paul, I'm going to vote for for Limbo. Okay, but it's very close. I mean, if I could just do quarter votes, then that's what I do. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, it's 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 a rigorous rigorous uh, regime that we have. Okay, <laughs> you cannot vote for Tales from the Loop, Morkborg, Warhammer Forty K, or Limbo. So good, aren't they? They are. I haven't. I haven't seen Morkborg. I had to very hastily Google it with my mic turned off earlier when Paul mentioned it. And uh, you know, it's <clears throat> it's so black metal. It's amazing. It's even got the rock dots and stuff. So, so that. I, but you see, Liminal was my second choice, and I love it to tiny, tiny pieces. But because Morkborg is so different, I'm going to give my vote to Morkborg or Merkborg. Berg. Uh, okay. It's yeah, always happened. I. I on some of the other ones, I've jumped in first, so I don't have to be the one who. Yeah, now you've got you. You're in the Len position now. Yeah, I, I could I could be sort of you know seven. I could be all fanboyish and say, well, John, clearly you've got the best ideas, but that's, that's no, well, that'd be wrong, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah, I, I, don't you know, don't I, go that far out on that limb. It ain't no, thick enough. <laughs> it, you, you might almost have said Traveller instead of Warhammer. Traveller, I should have said Traveller for that cover. Talk. See, that's interesting. A few people said you you will not talk about Traveller. There's no art in it. And I was going, with that, with those covers, it's yeah, the most yeah. iconic. Actual graphic covers. design. Actual oh, graphic good. design. Yeah. Very unusual. Clearly yeah. the game is rubbish, but yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I I I I do like Mortborg. I can't obviously vote for Liminal. Warhammer, I think some of this stuff in Warhammer, the whole Warhammer range, whether it's the 40k stuff or woofrup is just unbelievable uh, but i'm going to go with tales from the loop and and that will be tales from the loop for the win uh, you know genuinely i think it's fair i think i think that's i think, that's I think it's one of those games even though again as i said the premise doesn't necessarily appeal to, i i still am absolutely drawn towards it and i think he's i think he's absolutely a genius as well uh, clearly, though, he's not the uh, winner of the Frankenstein's World Cup of uh, RPG artists. He was beaten in the semi-finals. Yeah, he's pretty good, <laughs> but, you know, he's, he wouldn't have got, like, 12 votes on a Twitter poll, would he? No. <laughs> no, no 12. <laughs> He'd have got lots more, and I'm all yeah. about minimalism and space in a Nordic style, so he would have lost I, there uh, with his Baroque numbers of votes. Yeah, I, 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 I disagree <laughs> with those votes. So. 
can we do honourable mentions as well? I feel that with with you know the amount of really gorgeous yeah. stuff out there, and I'm sure that everybody oh, had gosh. real trouble um, kind of picking stuff because because liminal would have been my second choice, and and my third choice would have been Vason, just mm-hmm. for the artwork in that. Yeah, because yeah. it is so <laughs> illustrative. Ah, there it is. Yeah. yeah, it is so beautiful. So beautiful. So I wanted to do, you know, an honourable mention to, to, to them, really. And, 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 and funny enough, actually, there, there were a lot of people who, who were particularly drawn to this kind of part, part of the sort of topic, top, topic rather. Uh, Everway was mentioned. Everway, uh, crikey. Yeah. Uh, the, the, actually, the, Merp, virtually every artist who worked on Merp, whether it was McBride, Chris Achilleos, uh Liz Danforth, and also for TNT, obviously, again, and if you want you know, something that's synonymous with each other, but that's possibly artist synonymous with the game as opposed to maybe the art. I would have, I would have looked at it. Fantasy Trip, I think she she did something there that was very good. Slay Industries, Sla Industries, mm-hmm. Slay yeah. Industries, yeah. Yeah, Max Bantelman uh, talked about that. It was Andy Andy Gregg? Is that right? Was the artist? I think there. No, Dave also. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, Greg uh, Greg Staples for the second edition cover, but ah, but okay. Dave also it's Dave Allsop's baby. It was his. Yeah, go go buy Slay Industries second edition. Okay. Shall do. Uh, you, you said it, John. So we have to go and do it. Yeah, it's have to. That's it. That's my commandment. <laughs> free league, uh, all the free league stuff. Simba Room in particular got a huge, uh, a huge following on, on there. Uh, Nanook Kakabra uh, mentioned mm-hmm. Trinity, aberrant. Um, yeah, the white John, wolf stuff. Yeah, John Cobb's art defined Wraith the Oblivion. He said. I See, that's true or not, I don't know. Fall of Delta Green was another one that was mentioned, and then again, that's a, that's a again, it's a beautiful book to look at. I think as well internally as well as. Mm. But Woofer, of course, uh, times a billion. I think that was the Dark Sun. Was that Brom? Mm. I, it's not one I'm too familiar with. Yeah. I think. And uh, then Sam Vale, who again, we've referenced Sam a few times, although clearly he's going to hate hate us again for trashing Pendragon. Uh, he he was the one who came up with a lot of things which which prompted the second question. So now I'm going to ask you the second question, which is, what is the element of the art of role playing games that absolutely defines role playing games? Do you think? Is there a specific thing of of or a specific type that you would describe to being artistic that defines role playing games? Yeah, I think I, you should go I, first. Yeah. Do you know what I was going to say? Maps. Yeah. Maps was going to be what I was going to say as well. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry. It's one of those things where I think it would be different. I, I know, obviously, war games, it's a translation into what you actually play on, what the, for want of a better word, this, the, the, the board is. But I find maps and mapping, and the, and the one thing that I – the first time I ever sort of was blown away by a piece of um, uh, mapping uh, was actually the isometric map in the AD&D Ravenloft scenario where they had set out the entire castle of Ravenloft. And I was just, I was tracing it with my finger, you know, it's, I'm a simpleton, so that's not particularly. You know, a light shined on a wall keeps me amused for a long time. But, but it was lit. It was. I was 
oh okay so how did you get and and i thought that that was the most extraordinary thing i'd seen i did tell you i grew up in suffolk didn't i uh, Isn't so that, I'm, I'm gonna, sorry on. i was just i was gonna say that's a really interesting thing about the sort of age you typically get into role-playing games kind of coinciding with the age where like isometric projection you won't know it was called that the eight sort of is really impressive really and it is pretty clever isn't it right you know let's be honest but and there's something it's a bit like model trains or something isn't it it's that it's got that sort of delightful quality about it that's sort of irresistible well i'm often to be yeah. found at the end of a platform with my binos but you know yeah there's something there's something about you know well, you'd be, you'd be looking at full-size trains if you were doing that. I'm talking about model trains. It's completely different. Um, <laughs> but, so right. So I, I'm, I'm saying maps Maps is my element, I think, that defines – that I I would describe that to being an artistic interpretation in particular, I think. Good good maps can absolutely sell me on something. The Merp stuff I thought was always good, you know, because I, I always have in the back of my mind the, the Tolkien maps. Mm. And I, yeah, so very formative. And they were lovely – can I tell you an amazing, the most name-droppy story in the world, yeah, right? Absolutely. It, it, well, for, within this world. So I'm at Gen Con, right? And uh, I'm on the booth because, you know, we did the one ring. And the gentleman comes by and he's he's chatting away. And he's and and he was looking through the one ring stuff and he says, you know, it's obviously a big labor of love. You've obviously put a lot of time and energy into this. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's true. It is actually. It really was a huge labor of love. Um and he goes, yeah, I know a bit about about that. And we chatted for a little while. And he goes, yeah, I know a bit, a few things about that because I'm, I don't know if you know, I'm Pete Fenlon. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, I've just wasted like ten minutes of my life just chatting to you like a customer when I should have been, you know, on my knees in awe, you know. But yeah, uh, you know, it's like I am Pete Fenlon. <laughs> You're all right, mate. Yeah, you, you didn't, you Amazing. didn't find your hand sort of then reaching out to sort of stroke him <laughs> gently or anything. That's <laughs> just like. That's just Gen Con for you, though. You just like. <laughs> well, funny enough, actually, know. the One Ring was another one, and and oddly enough, uh, Mister Doctor uh, Michener was the one who mentioned mm. the One Ring. So that, that was, you know, would have oh, been his, yeah. his choice. So okay, so well, John. Well, you can see that's just incestuous because he wrote on the One Ring. You see, I voted for him because I'm working on his book, and he voted for the One Ring because he wrote on it. It's disgusting, yeah. basically. Uh, yes. Yeah dreadful product placement but come on yeah, you, you've got to think of something then that uh, in terms of uh rpgs and art that sort of that, that defines each it's very difficult isn't it well it's very difficult whose question is this it's incredibly difficult it's like a dragon a small dragon pulled up into a tree by some inexplicably cruel people who also look like they're off a beach that, that's that's it <laughs> in, that's, that's the it. inexplicable cruelty of larry is that jeff easy or larry elmore i'm now i've now i've put my foot in it i might oh, be dear. accusing one of those fine gentlemen of of inexplicable cruelty in their artwork that always phased me that picture but i think that is probably sums up really the spirit of role-playing games does it not okay so the inexplicable fusion of larry elmore and yeah. a tree yes. or a dragon, yeah. Yeah, okay. dragon, a, a small dragon cruelly pulled up into a tree for no reason. Yeah, there you Paul. go. Paul, Paul, what would you say is the element of art that sort of defines RPGs or something? Well, I hate to parry it, mate, but like the maps thing is spot on. Um, mm. 
Uh, I, I tried drawing a map um, for my my local game, um, yeah, at uh, the weekend. And I looked at it and thought, oh my God, Paul, what are you doing? I mean, my players are really sort of like nice and kind. So they'll never sort of like, you know, give me a hard time about it. And I sort of like had this moment, I'd, I'd not tried drawing maps before. And I was like, good God, this how difficult is this? Mm. Um, and it, it's when, when my son, uh, my boy reads a lot, and we've got a thing now where if a book's got a map in the start of it, we're, we're both like, yes, yeah, there's a map at the start of the book. And it's like, um, we sort of... We, that's the like, sign of a good book, right? Exactly, <laughs> yeah. It's, it. it's yeah, like it's got a map in it. Sign of a 1980s fantasy book anyway, yeah. Yeah, yeah or, that's what I just said, yeah. <laughs> or, or thankfully, many modern children's novels. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that whole thing. It's In fact, if anything, looking at that, like, like my son has looked at it it's kind of made me look at maps in a different way um i'm now kind of like they're not just kind of like yeah sure this is where the the, the castle of the dark necromancer is it's like now here's the journey thing and it's like i think maps like i say I'm, I'm sorry to like like double up on you but it's maps are great we, we've got to the point where we're, we're like we'll sit there going this this is brilliant just love it it's possibly the second most nerdiest thing I've ever said. Well, like, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My long distinguished career as an ordnance survey fan. Yeah. Okay, yeah. come on. Are you going to, is there something different you're going to say or is it? Well, I, I think I feel, I feel I have to say something different, even though I was blatantly thinking maps. Uh, but uh, yeah, aside from maps. Um, well, it's just the world building though, isn't it? That's what, what it is. It's this world building thing. And I know that it's technically not unique to RPGs because, um, you know, you get world building in movies and TV and, and in books and in all kinds of stuff. But it's this collaborative world building, whether, you know, this is something that's graphically that's done by the designers or the artists in the original book, or whether it's in, in all of these sort of follow-up expansions, the, the world is only going to get bigger and richer, the more it's used. And I think that that's the the kind of unique thing about games, about role-play games that you don't get in anything else is this collaborative world building nature of it. Uh, and you can do that visually as well, sort of artistically. So so that whether it's your character portraits and your, your, you know, your maps that you make or somebody's decided that, you know, we're going to have some homebrew that includes a particular item. And suddenly this item goes into, you know, somehow it gets back into the main rule book, like, you know, stuff that's happening with critical role and D and D where, where a lot of the stuff that was homebrew for them is now becoming Canon and it's got its own setting mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and it's that world building, but a lot of that is visual and it comes from the fans and it comes from the players and, and it comes from the original designers. So that's, it's a very big wishy-washy, let's all be nice to each other kind of term, but at least it's not me just going, Maps, the third. Uh, yeah. So, so Paul, Paul pandered to my ego, and uh, do you just stoking the egos of everybody who plays role playing games, which is, which is as it should be. That's it, it, uh, the only other thing I was sort of thinking of was, you know, uh, and people do tend to take it to sort of extremes. Was, was things like you know the minis, the figures and stuff. Clearly, you do still have that in war games and things, but. There's also a spate of people having their character portrait drawn on on a commission, and I'm sort of thinking that's a an interesting way to go for something that's sort of you know 
Well, it's either that or really, really pretty fancy dice, isn't it? I mean, those are the kind of options that we've got. <laughs> yeah, illegible dice. Yeah, yeah. talk about fonts and everything else, layout and things. Oh, man, don't stop me on that one. <laughs> so, but, but, again, because, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm going to make you vote. You have to vote for something. So we have uh, maps, Paul's, Paul's maps, not, not my map, Paul's <laughs> maps. John with the inexplicable fusion of Larry Elmore. <laughs> no, it's the inexplicable cruelty of oh. not of Larry Elmore of, of these characters. The I don't know. I don't understand the question, so I just did my best. <laughs> hate me. This, that's good. That's 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 pretty much how it should be. But yeah, the good. inexplicable cruelty of fusing Larry Elmore with a dragon. Uh, <laughs> K was world beading, world, world beading, world beading. World beading, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? World, world beading. See, now that's not enough. That shell Beaded quilt, yeah. Nobody's done a shell-covered book yet, which I think... I think <laughs> kidney beans, craft glued onto it. In <laughs> big fish made out of kidney beans, that's what you want. Prayer beads, prayer beads for uh, in combat so that, you know, when the round starts again, you can have a little prayer bead and, and then you can have initiative in your little beads and it goes around and around. There you go. TM, uh, I'm uh, I'm <laughs> patenting that now. I'm going to make squillions out of uh, combat a, prayer beads. So. I, I, that's, a, that's a Bushido thing. You could use that in, couldn't you? That's, that's, anyway. And then finally, it was my, my maps. Uh, so we, we have to have a vote. So... Uh, Paul, we're going to come to you first. You cannot vote for your maps. <laughs> you can vote for my maps if you wished to. Uh, I'll make the rules. Uh, what are you voting for? Well, you know, I mean, it's, I mean I'm inclined okay. toward the to John's inexplicable cruelty, mm. but like part of you thinks that kind of, I don't know. I'm not That's sure. just spoiling <laughs> your ballot paper voting for that. Don't do that. <laughs> I'd never That's do voting that. For, voting for Lord Binface or whatever his name is. Yeah. What are you going with? Come on. Um, I'm going to go for your maps, Dave. Yeah, look at that. John, John, you can't vote for your own... Why you need to be cruel to Mr Elmore, I'm not sure, but uh, you cannot vote for inexplicable. So it's either Paul's maps, Kay's world building as a collaborative uh, artistic expression, or, or my maps. It's got to be the world building. That's a much better answer than you two chumps with your maps. <laughs> if I, we should have started like this. Two answers the same. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Two answers the same. What's that about? It's, it's Two maps ten to abuse... one man leaves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The abuse doesn't usually start until after we've actually put the, the podcast out. But uh, Yeah. Well, my suggestion is Tales from the Loop. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, and then uh, Kay? Uh, you can't. Uh, you can't vote for world building. I can't. Just vote for your own one, Kay. Come on. <laughs> no, no. Why I'm going to play do? by the rules. I'm going to play by the rules because I'm a good girl at heart. Um, but whose maps? Uh, I'm going to vote for Paul's maps because Paul Paul couldn't vote for his own maps. But it doesn't matter because if we have one vote for everything, it's still going to be maps that wins, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But, so it should yeah. be. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I have to say. Uh, I would vote for the inexplicable cruelty towards <laughs> Mr. Elmore. Uh, in terms of art, it would be an interesting sort of performance piece, I suspect. But I, Adeline, I am going to ruin it all. I'm going to go with Kay. I think the world building thing, I think, is. Yeah, abs- I, I think, you know, in terms of collaboration for something that you do, a group of people coming together to make something. Now, is it art? I don't know whether you can push the boundary quite that much, but sometimes it's it's 
you know it is memorable it's clearly enjoyable you know everybody's sort of, you know when you when you're all singing off the same page i think i think it'd be really good i think it'd be fantastic in fact which is why i probably play an rpg so uh k uh your your element uh that rpgs sort of define or or, or turn into art is collaboration world building so well done thank you very much I've got uh, as good polished stuff. I've got uh, Liminal was down as my classiest design award. So in terms of layout, Liminal was the one that had the most class. Um, we've got Mage for the worst logo. Uh, we have Mummy the Resurrection for the award for resisting the use of the papyrus font uh, because it wasn't anywhere in the book, which is incredible. Um, the fact that Mummy the Resurrection does not, under its how many hundreds of pages, does not have papyrus in it is a hugely important thing in terms of graphic design history. Um, oh, they've, surely they've missed a trick there. Come on. I know. How is that even possible? Um, uh, best kerning, if you know about kerning for fonts. <laughs> This is how really good these are. Best kerning goes to Alien because Alien is only Alien because of the absolutely huge tracking between between the letters. And if you put the letters together, it's not Alien. You have to have this vast amount of space in there. So because, you know, it's quote unquote space. It's so clever. It's, it's, uh, it's almost like they thought about it. It is, isn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, we have um, the next award is for... I thought that was making funny faces, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> uh, next award is for going old school in a really bad way. And uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics was generally really, really good. But at one point it uses Cooper Black, which is a font from the sort of late 70s, early 80s, which is the worst font that's possibly worse even than Papyrus. And they use it. <laughs> And they use it sparingly and ironically, but it is still awful and they still get marked down for it. Shocking. I know. Uh, I've also got awards for bad colour combinations as well. So <laughs> if you want them, <laughs> this is brilliant. The worst, so bad colour combination awards. Um, the winner is Vert for having white body text on hot pink or bright cyan that nobody can read for any amount of time. Because the second you read it and you look away, your eye compensates and you either see things in bright cyan or bright pink which is Ooh. the opposite of the one you've been looking at so we have optical optical after effects from reading this book and also the 2009 version of judge dread the rebellion one um because of its vast amounts of black on red and red on black which you cannot read you cannot read red on black especially if it's on the screen so if you've got it as a pdf not a chance if you've got it as a print a little bit so those are my awards for some of the crimes that have been perpetrated <laughs> Um, uh, and the, one more, just just one more, um, and that would be uh, overuse of vintage typewriter. Vintage typewriter as a font appears in absolutely everything. So we have um, Acton Cthulhu. Anything Cthulhu has got it. Uh, Delta Green has got it. Uh, all the vampire stuff has got it. Anything with any sort of gumshoe hint. Uh, or Detective Hint has got it. If you're going back to sort of a Sherlock Holmes feel, that has got it. So, uh, yeah, vintage typewriter fonts. That's it. Also there is, is the crimes. I, I like to imagine I'm actually reading the newspaper, though, when I'm doing that, but that's just me. And yet the irony is that newspapers use Times New Roman. They don't use Courier, and they don't have the typewriter fonts. <laughs> you... At least no one... No one used old English caps altogether. That's true. 
That's true. Even even some of the 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 kind of what's the one um, umlaut, which is the the metal one, which is full of rock ducts. Even that is more nineties grunge than it is nineteen seventies um, motorhead fond. So thankfully, yes. that isn't there. It's uh, it's an extraordinary awards <laughs> ceremony that we would have for that. I, I'm not entirely sure. What would we present them with? A song, uh, <laughs> Hodgson print or something. Perhaps. I think we'd probably present them with a short online course in graphic design is what we present them with. Yeah. Uh, obviously not not with a bank because I, I don't teach it. But um, no, I think, yeah, it's either that or a, or a design book. You know, something like uh, Jim Krause's classic, The Layout Index or the type that, you know, the, the font index. One of those really classic books that gives you some of those classic design stuff. And they're quite big. So we put them in the end of a sock and then we go and hit them around the head with it. <laughs> Just people trying their best. I mean, Jesus Christ. I know. But you Pretty see, I was, all, I was all wishy-washy earlier with all the let's all be together and world yeah. built. And now I've become furious again um, this, with this, my nerdiness in, inflamed. In, in your hat-trick performance uh, on this pod, podcast, you've, you've destroyed most of the role-playing games within the industry based on colour and typeface based on colour and typeface and that's purely from an accessibility perspective actually so but in terms of world building it's great you know so it's, it's just okay you know, yeah as long as it's not in red and black that's yeah. the world that's <laughs> right out yeah okay thank you very much sorry Brilliant. about that i'm calm now i told you i was like i told you i was like animal that was the bit where i just went off on one and did, i've did, come back down so i did, did say this is uh, it's turning into group therapy well, Good. I'm off to read much. some in red and black now. I think <laughs> oh. only for a very short time, just as long as it's not white on cyan. So, there you have it. That was episode five. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, the show notes will include as many links to artists and games as I can, as well as the full list of winners of the inaugural Kraus Awards. Uh, apologies for the number of times we've been holding up examples of art to each other, but hopefully if you aren't familiar with the games mentioned, the show notes should take you to the websites or order platforms concerned. If you want to leave us a message at Anchor, please do. We're Frankenstein's RPG, and we're also on Twitter, at FrankensteinRPG, and happy to take feedback and contributions on next episode's topic, which I think we're going to be looking at encumbrance and hit points. A nice easy one, as you know. What could possibly go wrong? See you soon. <laughs>